0: But the nice thing was, and that was always uh, a big matter too, that especially the world we live in now, where you have cell phones, where you have internet, you have everything. It's just so special that you can escape once in a while and just be offline for a few months.
1: Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Today's guest is somebody that I actually found on the Swiss television. And because uh, even though I live in Cyprus, I love watching Swiss television once in a while. It sort of connects me to home. And there was this stuff that I started watching about people traveling abroad. And then I found Marcus Blum and his family. And first I thought when I was watching this, what they did in Canada, I thought these people are crazy. But then I watched more and more and more and read more and more about them and got more and more fascinated and I think that they are just about my kind of people. So Marcus Bloom, welcome to my podcast.
0: Hello Elizabeth, thanks a lot for having me.
1: I want to know everything about you and your family and your wife Sabrina because I am absolutely fascinated You were obviously born with the travel gene. It didn't just start with your wife and with your family. You were traveling before, weren't you? When was the first time you went on a plane?
0: Well, the first time actually I went on a plane, that was after my apprenticeship I did in Lucerne uh, as a draftsman. And um, yeah, I hopped on a plane to New Zealand and um, just, yeah, went off for half a year, New Zealand and Australia. And um, from there on, I just knew. I really got hooked up to it. And of course, I think I got, you know, with growing up with my family at home, it's, we never went overseas. We went, I think the first time I even saw the ocean that was in Italy, maybe I was already 15 or like a teenager. It never bothered me. Like, of course we had other, you know, other um, students from the class come in. The teacher would ask, well, where have you been on your holidays? And they some of them may be told from being in New York or places like that, but it didn't bother me. Like I never had the feeling that my parents should also take me to, you know, faraway places. We just spend a lot of time in nature. And um, and I think that made it even more special that the first time hop- hopping on an airplane, like realizing that's you know, I, I financed everything. I paid it out of my own pocket and, and just, take
1: off yeah and i think things were so different than weren't they i mean if there weren't any low cost carriers at the time flights were quite expensive but they were different and and deciding to just go to new zealand that must have been quite a big decision it was most that was quite a trip and you were telling me before we started recording that you actually worked as a skiing instructor in new zealand
0: that's right i did that for uh, many years and actually what happened? That brought me to New Zealand as well. But the first time I didn't go to New Zealand for uh, instructing. I did after my apprenticeship. I just I knew draftsman is not my kind of job. I was I'm I'm a very creative person, but sitting on a on a desk all day was sort of. Yeah, I was looking out the window and thinking about faraway places. But I also, I didn't really know, you know, what else could I do? So I thought I'll take time off and move out of my parents' place and go to Davos in the Swiss Swiss mountains. Because I was hooked up to, you know, I was involved with skiing. And then I decided, well, I could do a season in Davos, become a, a certified ski instructor, and, and at that time, I was a um, roommate or flatting together with a, a guy from New Zealand. And so that's how it all started. Like we became friends and I did not speak any English then really, because I never learned it at school as well. And he said, well, come to New Zealand and um, you can stay with me for a little while. And then I just went off. What I did first was I was going to a, a language school, but then I was sort of disappointed too. I thought, well, now i travelled half around the world and the first time I'm overseas and now I'm I'm ending up in a classroom again, so that was not quite my taste. But then, like, after three weeks, I took off. I started hitchhiking and, and backpacking and, um, yeah, so.
1: Amazing. <laughs> you know, this is. This is so funny because um, I had one of my first jobs was cleaning hotel rooms in Zuerdenberg, where I come from in the end. And there was this guy from New Zealand. He just did all the hoovering. We were cleaning beds and, and we were changing <laughs> bed sheets and cleaning bathrooms. And he just came after us, he came to Hoover. And yeah. we only had one key. My first proper words in English that I knew was the key, please. In, with, with a New Zealand accent. <laughs> so, so then, um, then Marcus, you met you met your wife in Australia or you came across your wife for the first time in Australia.
0: Yeah, that's right. That was quite a, a special uh, story in my life too. Um, like that was a few years later. Yeah, after that first trip to New Zealand, like it all started that I was going, like I did the winter season in Davos and then, you know, in summertime when they have winter in New Zealand, I, I go to New Zealand and and um, do ski instructing, and then later on I was doing ski racing in New Zealand too. So I think it was in two thousand and four after I finished my season in New Zealand, because before I would come back to to Daewas, I always um, you know did a bit, some travelling in between seasons. So. My brother joined me, we met in Australia and we did a, yeah, we had a fantastic time, maybe traveled for almost two months. And then just a day or two days before we decided to, or had to fly back to uh, Switzerland, we ended up in Cairns. So we walked through the street in the evening and we see this uh, Swiss bacon coffee shop. And usually I'm not the kind of, Guy that you know, if I'm overseas, I don't need to find a Swiss bakery or something. <laughs> I just, you know, I like local stuff. So, but anyway, we we it was shut that that cafe, and we said, well, next morning morning we come here and we have coffee, and we are sitting on a table, and of course, like my brother and me, we were speaking Swiss German, and this beautiful uh, young lady comes up. She was working there. That was Sabrina hearing that we speak Swiss German, And so she comes up and, of course, like, takes the order, but also says, well, where are you guys? And she said, no way. Like, I was living in Davos, basically growing up in Davos for many, many years, but we've never met in Davos, which we, she's six years um, younger than me. Of course, that was back then. She would not be maybe in bars when I was in bars. So, and she was friend, friends with, people i knew and i was friends with anyway she served us coffee and that was it basically but after we left the cafe i said to my brother i said wow this girl that that's now i fell in well i mean i fell in love i I just said she's beautiful she's really nice that's that's the type of girl i could imagine you know like i would yeah i was just hooked up and I think I was I was just all day long, I was talking to my brother about her. And funny enough, in the afternoon, we she had maybe lunch break or whatever. And we crossed again on the street. And um, she said, well, you guys like to come for a drink this evening. And we said, oh, yeah, you know, we might come. So she told us where she's going to be and... But also said that was even at the cafe. I forgot to tell you. She said, Well, she's now living, of course, in Australia because she's she was um, in her younger years, she was living in in Australia with her parents. So it was easy for her. She had the um, citizenship, but she moved to Australia and at that time was living together with her friend, with her boyfriend. And, And she told me, of course, she told us that. So I said to my brother, Well, you know, she's taken anyway, so. And my brother and me had a drink in the evening at the hostel, and um, and then my brother says, well, do you wanna go to that place she's now at the bar and have a drink with her? And I said, I was sort of too tired or just could not, you know, I said, well, let's leave it. She's got a boyfriend anyway, and we're going home tomorrow, so no point. We stayed where we were and, and um, went home to Switzerland, and two years later, funny enough, she was um, back in Davos, no boyfriend, and it all happened. That's how things happen. <laughs> I've got a family, <laughs>
1: and there is no coincidence in life. There is, you know, everything happens for a reason, and it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, how big or small can the world be that you met the same girl in Australia and then back in Davos, and she was available? Sometimes it doesn't work. You could have been. Hooked up with That's somebody right. at the time, That's so right. you were.
0: And yeah, she basically, and she only planned to come to Switzerland for because her mum had a her fiftieth birthday then, so she wanted to be at that party and just decided she would only come for a for a winter season and then mm-hmm. go back to Australia.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um yeah, she went back to Australia after. The season but only to get her stuff and you see but she also told me and I think that's when I really started liking her she said well something you gotta know like if you if you want to stay together with me I'm not going to spend all my life in one place like I want to keep traveling
1: yeah I think you, you you know we're like two souls who found each other with on the same wavelength so then what happened? Then you tell me, then you went to Canada. Well, that's right. you, we, what what made you go to Canada?
0: Well, it was basically like it didn't take long. I think we were only maybe, yeah, maybe one and a half years together, even or less almost. She said, you know, we just we talked about having kids. And because she traveled lots and I traveled lots, and we, you know, totally in love, thinking we're the right, you know. The, the right couple for that so so we did decided to have a family and um so when sabrina got pregnant we just you know all everyone around us basically our families and friends and everything one would come up and say well you know finally Sabrina's pregnant so that will stop you guys from traveling because now you you know you will have a family you settle down and For a while, we thought, yeah, that's probably what we're going to do. And um, not being honest with ourselves, maybe, but just. And um, so we decided when Sabrina was four months pregnant, we decided, well, now we're going to do our last big trip maybe for a while. And um, so we went to Canada for a few months and bought a canoe and um, traveled down the Yukon River. But it only—I think it only fired. How do you say? Fired us up, like thinking, well, this is really what we want to keep doing. But it made course, you want I more. Want more, and, and and thinking about, well, why should we not be able to do that with with a kit too? Because other other like um, the Mongolians or you know the nomads or they live out in the bush and pack their kids on a horse or on a camel and 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 move to different places and not being complicated you know just because you have a family so but anyway we got we got after that trip we got home oh elizabeth now it's just on the door i think i just have to hand out something is that a no problem? problem no a problem no problem that
1: so then you came back to switzerland from canada after this trip when sabrina was uh, pregnant and you decided to go back to Canada?
0: Yeah, it took a little while again. From there, of course, um, well, our little Amira was born in uh, October, and uh, we also got married actually. And um, and then for a while, of course, you know, we were very happy. I mean, we still are happy parents. So, <laughs> but we, we, I think we took it sort of quite relaxed like we enjoyed family life and I think it already showed that Sabrina took it very relaxed like being pregnant on a canoe we had for a few months we had no um, communication but she just I think she had that in her mind I'm just pregnant so most normal thing in life then when when uh, Amira was seven months old, we we wanted to move again. You know, we wanted to do something. So of course we we asked ourselves, well, what kind of um, traveling would be possible now with a little girl? So what we did, we uh, basically we packed our bags, took the bicycles, and we cycled from uh, Switzerland to uh, Croatia for a few weeks, and. Um, And there it really showed us basically that traveling with kids was, it was not a problem, you know, like, of course it was, she was sleeping a lot too and she was just uh, in a trailer. And, um, but we thought, well, you know, we were sleeping in a tent. We were just simple. So we thought, well, that's all no problem. And, um, we got back home but what we missed I have to say on that trip like Croatia of course after Canada being in the wild was sort of very um, crowded and you know we had to basically camp on campgrounds and being jammed in between big motorhomes and um, not having a fire in the evening so basically our thoughts went you know It was still out in Canada, and um, so we got back home, and um, and suddenly I got this. um, I was reading this book about Nicolas Bagnier, das uh, Schneekind, the Snow Child. child. I think there's no, yeah. And it tells the story about this Frenchman, a a very famous adventurer. That in '94 he went uh, with his wife and his little daughter. He went into he traveled in canada for one year but on horseback and uh, built a little cabin on a lake and yeah just spent a whole year out in the bush so after reading that story i was we were just very fascinated and with and it showed us too that you know someone else was basically doing is doing um special special things with a child as well so we thought let's do this too and um and and the idea just suddenly grew that it would be our plan to um to go and find that cabin, which was then sixteen years later. So we went to Canada in the year two thousand and ten when Amira was one and a half years old and had this idea you know we'll buy horses, saddle them up, pack them with all the gear and food we need for a few months, and then um find Nicolas Vanier's cabin and and the funny thing was or the interesting thing about it was that in the book he doesn't describe where it exactly is but we sort of did research and 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 found out but never knew like when we were on the trip we never knew when we get to this like will that cabin still be there or has it collapsed in between or burned down or whatever and And so we, it took us half a year for the whole trip and to learn being on the way with horses, learn all about horses. And, of course, we had in the mind we have a little, you know, we have a little girl and and we really have to be careful and think what we're doing and and be prepared. But also I think what was good that we actually did find that cabin and, and were able to do that whole trip was just... Just being, I think, young, I wouldn't call it stupid or or um, just thought, why not? First of all,
1: one thing that I wanted to say, what you were mentioning before about traveling around with a child, and originally we were nomads. We lived in caves and humans traveled around and humans lived in tribes. It's society that dictates us that we have to be in a house by ourselves. And that's why so many people are lonely and don't know how to be yeah. alone and, So uh, I think that's wonderful what you did. But the other thing that I wanted to say, did you ever have a situation when you felt afraid? Like, was Amira ever sick and you didn't know what to do? Or did anything ever happen during that time that you felt, oh, no, you know, maybe that was not such a good idea?
0: Yeah, um, no, definitely. Amira, to answer that question, she was never sick. We weren't sick either. But it was like, at the very start, like, we just... We went to Canada and, and um, well, we knew sort of our route where we have to go to find that cabin, but we didn't have organised horses before and um, we hardly had any um, experience with horses at all. So we went to Canada, went to a place where they, that was in Vanderhoof in British Columbia, where we knew there's, very, there's big farms like, horse farms, and and we thought, well, we go and find a person or a, a farmer that will uh, basically sell us horses. So we met this guy, John, and um, he he was retired, but he had more than a hundred horses. And, and we thought, well, when we heard he has so many horses, we thought, well, this will be easy. Like he'll sell us a few. And um, But it turned out that most of his horses were just wild. So he basically had two good horses, uh for riding and um and after a while, like he trained us and he um he said, Well, before you take off, you should take my two horses, do an overnight trip, just a two-day, and then come back. And and that way you will find out what will face you, and you, you can still make the decision whether you're up for it or not. And um, so so he drove us out into the forest and uh, showed us a path and he said, well, just follow this path for a few kilometres and hours and then you get to a little lake, you put up your tent and and you return the next morning. We weren't riding those horses. We packed them, you know, with gear as uh, pack animals. And Sabrina had a mirror on her back with, a, you know, those um, long, how do you say, mm. like carriers type... She walked ahead and I had those two horses behind me. They were tied together and I held them on a leash and I was just following her. And But then as soon as the branches hit those boxes, you know, it made noise and the, the horses got scared and and I didn't want to let them go. So they always pulled me off into the bushes on the side and, and lots and lots of uh, mosquitoes that time too. It was in, in uh, May, I think. And it was horrible, like like when there was a swamp coming up or a, or a creek or a river, like the horses, I could not stop them. I was basically following the horses and, and I just walked through the swamp and through hip deep water and it was absolute chaos. We never reached that little lake John told us about. We, we found the camp spot a little bit earlier, put up our tent, and we were sitting like the the only like Sabrina, of course, was sort of uh, on the ground, like, you know, disappointed or just thinking, well, it's all that's the end. And I was and Amira was totally happy. You know, she, she was she was just happy. She slept very well that evening in the tent. But Sabrina, and me, we were sitting in the tent that evening just thinking, that's it. I sort of still had hope, but I could not. Um, convince her to you know say oh yeah no we'll be fine you know so we slept very bad also knowing well our dream is you know it's gone um now we have planned this for for a long time already dreaming how we will be out in those valleys and you know sitting on the fire finding this cabin and also slept well because we knew the next morning we have to go back so it'll be total chaos again and so we woke up in the morning we saddled the horses because we wanted to get it done and over as fast as possible and suddenly as we packed the horses they started sweating and and shivering and I thought oh no this it it can't be now we only put them on a saddle and they already act up like this so but what happened and the horses saw it before or smelled smelled it before we did it was a, a bear turning up not far away from us. So just because we could deal with that, before we could deal with that problem too, like John turned up. He came up to us to check. And I said, John, oh, I'm so glad to see you told him all about the problem we had. And, and he said, well, if that's the case, don't go back the same way. Not far from here. There is a, a road like a forestry road that leads out. So take that road and there's no branches and the horses probably will be fine. On the way back, everything calmed down because the terrain we had a road to to walk on. So and 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 suddenly, like this this little, how you say, like hope came back, you know, suddenly thing, well, it's all relaxed and 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 also finding out that John said, well, maybe. The horses are not as good as, you know, as I thought. And if you find other, if we find better horses, then maybe you can still try. So, so I think that was the good thing. If that evening, if we would actually have reached, if that lake or that camp would have been the end, we would have given up, I think. But the the way back saved us because it gave us time to think about it and, and look at it from a different angle and, Funny enough, like you said before, there's no um how do you say no coincidence.
1: There's no coincidence
0: in life, right? Yeah. Suddenly these people all around in the area, they heard that a young family is looking for horses. So suddenly we got contacted and um got given good horses for for a few months and
1: amazing uh, amazing so you did do what you wanted to do and I read that you were you were isolated for quite a long time you were just the three of you weren't you and you had to buy food for this time and you were living
0: off i don't know um, birds that you of the, yeah we did especially in winter too but in summer we did a lot of fishing yeah um and um, birds. Yeah, we shot um, we shot birds. Um, how do you say like the snow, like the, the forest chicken, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, we had a license for that. Just, mm-hmm. It ended up being a wonderful trip. Like mm-hmm. it was always a lot of difficult decisions we had to make, and we ended up in a in a forest that basically swallowed us for a whole week, and sometimes not moving more than two k's a day um, after being on a horse for seven hours. So we had to cut down branches and little trees and just to make it possible to get through. And we took a lot of food along. We, we had five horses, two for riding and three just fully packed with um, lots and lots of supplies.
1: Uh, supplies. Yeah. 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 Did you always know where you were?
0: Yes, we did, we did. Uh-huh.
1: We did. <laughs> helps, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yeah, uh, and then but what you said, yeah, we spend we spend the whole winter then in that cabin too, but maybe I go too far want advan- uh ahead now.
1: No, no. But then you decided this was always time limited. Had you always given yourself a certain amount of time that you would want to stay there? Or did you just decide at some point it's enough now and we're going back? How did that happen?
0: No, we actually, like when we left, we knew we had half a year. Okay. I was still on contract. I was working in a sports shop here in Davos. And, and suddenly my boss came up to me and he said, oh, Marcus, you have like five months overtime or, you know. Like, please take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, so, so that was that was it. That sort of explained yeah. to how we could afford it all, you know. Yeah.
1: So you and put this, you put those five months to good use. I mean, that was an amazing experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it was totally, and and of course, it made us hooked up even more, and and showing us that we are basically not limited. Being a family, we can still do, you know, maybe even what other people wouldn't even do without. Uh, with a child, so or without a child.
1: But you see, I always say that um, people, most people, live in the comfort zone. They stay in the comfort zone, but the comfort zone is the place where all the dreams die. And you definitely left the comfort zone, and you made your dreams come true.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and it just it basically showed us too that I think if if you have a, a dream that you want to fulfill, you got to you got to be surrounded by people that basically love you and, and um, uh, how do you say, like, believe in you also. support
1: you and understand your craziness.
0: That's right, because there's always lots of people, especially when you have kids, that try to hold you back and tell you it's not possible, you can't do this anymore, you should have done this when you had no kids. And I think then it's important that you sort of listen, yeah. Yeah. Follow your own heart. You know, those and, and
1: people, the people who tell you that are the people who would never do such a thing. That's it's, right. And I it's, think It's those it's, people's
0: limiting beliefs, not yours. Exactly. And I think it's important, like if someone tells you not to do it, someone that has already done stuff like that, then it's different. But mm-hmm. if, if just someone tells you, just your neighbor or your family members or friends that basically never go and do things like that anyways, and they tell you it's not possible, then you should. Not listen, not not listen. listen.
1: And in my case, like I have always felt that like when people, when somebody tells me that you can't do it, that gave me even more fuel to want to do it because, uh, you know, to show them. Yeah. So you came back after Canada, you came back to Switzerland, right? Yeah. And then your second daughter was born in Switzerland.
0: She was born in Canada. Oh, no, sorry. She was born in Australia. I was second daughter.
1: How come? I, I missed some part there now.
0: <laughs> I'm totally wrong. You're right. <laughs> I got yeah. it. I should know better, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well,
1: that's okay. With all the traveling that no, you're you... Right. you're right. You're right. I was
0: second daughter... I just thought, because now they got an Australian passport. They got the younger one got a, a Canadian passport, of course, because she was born in uh, in Canada. Yeah, we came back after that half year's trip and finally just just realised that um, also the connections we made in Canada and and Sabrina, like I told you earlier, she said. I don't want to live my whole life in in, in Davos, basically. And so suddenly we thought we had the opportunity to go in and live in Canada. So we we got so hooked up and had a job, sort of basically started off with um trekking trips, horseback trips also with a uh, the man that gave us the horses for our trip. So so we just decided from basically half a year after we we came home to leave. Switzerland for good. Like we, uh, uh, we basically, uh, yeah, we moved to to Canada, mm-hmm. and not saying that we will be in Canada for all our life, but it just felt like the right thing to do then, and and just go do it, see what happens. And as always, you know, we I think we're privileged here in in Switzerland, of course, uh, knowing we can always come back, we can always find work again if things don't work out. So. So we moved to Canada for two years and um, went back to the cabin again the next summer. Um, basically did the same trip to the cabin and um, and then decided that we want to spend the whole winter there. Yeah, we just fell in love with the place and we thought this is our next, well, it was our next dream to spend the whole winter out nowhere which is just to give you an idea it's like 200, 200 ks around you is just nothing. nothing just no no town no no other people just just wilderness and um so you're almost like when you're there you almost it almost feels like i mean no but alcatraz you know you can't you're there but you, there's no way you can escape anymore in winter you just
1: but did you have any, like, did you have like, well, how do you call? I mean, you obviously didn't have, a, couldn't use a cell phone or did you have any contact or any way to contact anybody? No, we
0: had, um, we had a, a satellite phone. We did carry a satellite phone. Uh, we had a, a spot messenger, which is like a a, a safety, like a, a signal that you can push buttons if, you know, you have like a contract with a search and rescue okay. um, company. The, the reason was why we had a, a satellite phone was because when we spent the winter in the cabin, Sabrina was pregnant again. So we thought, mm-hmm. just prepare, um, yeah, if worse comes to worse. But the nice thing was, and that was always uh, a big matter too, that especially the world we live in now where you have cell phones, where you have internet, you have everything, it's just so special that you can escape once in a while. And just be offline for a few months, yeah. like no one can reach. Like we could call someone, but no in, one. If can reach necessary, us. you could call
1: someone. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. Just enjoy just nature and completely like quiet, no electricity, no nothing, basically. And did she give birth alone? No, she like uh, Naira, the young one. She was born in uh, Prince George in a hospital. We decided to yeah. To move yeah. out of the cabin, she was already uh, nine months pregnant, just just short be- before labor. So we decided now we'll play this safe. And yeah, uh, go yeah. Out. yeah,
1: yeah, amazing, amazing. Right. So you were doing these tours; people were coming from. Abroad, and you were taking them around on these horse, on these uh, what do you call them, like trekking trips, right? Yeah,
0: trekking trips. We actually established a, a sort of a route to the cabin, yeah. like a, a short, a shorter version. And for quite a few years, we took clients together with our Canadian friend to uh, to show him the place. Um, yeah,
1: and then you went back to Switzerland. And
0: we went back to Switzerland, and one reason was that that I suddenly had the opportunity to go and have uh, speeches about our adventure trips all around Switzerland later on in Austria and Germany and, and like, in Canada, we basically, we only, like, the the job to be able to do those horse tricks, that was only limited to a few months. Mm -hmm. And so we needed, you know, we would have needed a job. You needed income income yeah and um so we decided well having this op- same things in life happen for a yeah. reason I think so I thought well take that opportunity and do those speeches and um so we came back and and soon after it also turned out that Naira was allergic to horses so it just that was changed the end of our the horse life stories. again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that, that basically stopped us then uh, after some years to, yeah, which we is we're not able to travel with the okay. horses
1: anymore. And then came Australia.
0: Yeah, and that was another good example, I think, for things happening in life and the alert being, um, for Naira being allergic to horses, it just completely changed our life again. Of course, What happened was um, we were back in Switzerland and we thought we wanted to do, that was before we knew that she was allergic. We thought we'll go to Patagonia and travel Mm -hmm. with horses there. And we thought everything will be so much easier now because we got the experience Mm -hmm. with horses, Mm -hmm. which was a big thing, of course. And also we already had horses waiting in Patagonia for us. So we thought, well, this time it's just easy. We fly to Patagonia. We're very well prepared. We'll take the horses, saddle them up, and off we go. Just two months before we um, planned on hopping on the plane, we went. Uh, we came close to horses here in Davos. Like, we decided that it would be good for Naira to hop on a horse and for Amira and... Um, and her eyes just swell up and and we thought oh no my gosh. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> so that plan was was killed and for a moment like i was completely i was um of course like really sort of disappointed because mm-hmm. suddenly i thought well what can we do now and at that point too i was i was just involved in all different sort of type of jobs. Like I was on a building site on just breaking down walls and dust all day. And I just took that job to make that, basically that trip possible, you know, a job that is, that I can finish, that I can walk off and basically just saving money. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly when you don't have that dream in front of you anymore, you really hate going to work because you, you don't see, you know, you don't What's have more. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, we thought, well, was that it now with this kind of adventure travels? Now we have two girls and we can't really walk with them and have them carry their backpacks and lots of food. And um, it was not our thing to rent a motorhome or, you know, travel around, which can be very nice too, but it was just not what we Not your thing. So suddenly we had, we thought, well, is there other animals, you know, that maybe we could go with llama or camel, reindeer. Here in Davos we have a search, or like an allergy centre. And I rang them up and I said, well, can we come along with our daughter? We would like to have her tested on camel, on llama and on reindeer.
1: (laughs) I wonder what they thought. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
0: no, the lady first, she laughed and she said, well, that's funny. No one so far asked us it's about price, you know, <laughs> and they wouldn't have those those tests. Like we would have to bring camel wool, or better even go to a zoo or get mm-hmm. in contact with a uh, with a camel. So, so we thought, well, camel. That sounds that's because it's a big animal and it's just special. We thought they'll be fascinating. So I found out there's camel farms in Switzerland too. So we went to a camel farm and more than once and um, it turned out that she's not allergic to camels okay. so, and then we first thought about well with camels we could go to mongolia or you know somewhere or even australia and and it all came together that son because our kids have australian passports and, and also sabrina and sabrina's sister lives in australia she was getting married and, and we thought well it all fits together we go to australia
1: fantastic and I also read somewhere that your girls actually went to school in Australia for a
0: while also that made it of course a lot easier to you know to take them out of school here because we could show them well you know they go to school in Australia so that was no problem and also interesting enough was like first of course we had the idea that we can just buy camels or rent camels trained you know and uh, saddle them up and off we go. It turned out that all the good camels, those companies, they needed, or the farmers, they needed them for, like, they couldn't rent them out because they needed them for their tourist business, for camel rides and so on. So we got um, in contact with a, a camel farm and they said, well, but what you could do is, like, you guys could buy wild camels that otherwise would go to the slaughterhouse mm-hmm. or, you know, export and they're not expensive they cost like $200 and but what you have to do of course is train them <laughs> uh-huh. oh, <great>. <laughs> <laughs> and so what happened was um we trained wild camels for half a year and during that time our girls went to to school in Australia while Sabrina and I was uh, training the camels and after that half a year finally we got them tame enough to um, being able to hook them on a wagon and um, we build a wagon for the trip too and um, yeah how and far did you
1: go where did you where where did your kids go to school was that uh, somewhere that, in the Red
0: Center was where, where uh, was? no it was um about 400 Ks north of Adelaide is a town yeah. called Hawker Hawker yeah. Is, um yeah the yeah. other yeah. end of the Flinders ranges
1: yes I used to do uh, Australia round trips for Kwoni. Oh, wow. I did a trip during the strike in uh, 1989. All the inner Australian airlines were on strike and we had to take the GAN, the train from Alice Springs to Adelaide. Wow. It's, we it's 25 power. hours of nothing, basically. From, where did you say? To Adelaide? Alice Springs to from Adelaide. Alice
0: Springs to Adelaide, yes. yeah. Yes. So oh, I probably, wow.
1: we probably went past somewhere where you were.
0: Yeah. And that yeah. explains why Australia also got camels. They yes. uh, imported yes. them to build the Ghan Railway. That's and, right. Uh, That's right.
1: Them. Yes. That must have been quite an adventure first to tame and train those uh, camels. Were they good afterwards? Could you rely was- on them or did
0: they have their moments still? while we were training them they had lots of moments (laughs) but actually as soon as I heard well you got to train them first I thought well this becomes even better I mean better more interesting you know like you really get to know the camels and also it makes it more difficult also um, very exciting because we never will our dream become possible you know just Because we went through so many up and downs. Like, first of all, we thought we're going to pack them. You know, we train them so we can pack them and travel in a string. But then after a while, it turned out that not all camels were very good like some you know some become quite tame some not they stayed sort of wild you know very dangerous so and we knew well we got two kids they they we got to be safe we all got to be safe mm-hmm. um and and then you know you you're in the heat if a girl needs to go for a pee you gotta have the whole pack string sit down and then as soon as you get back on, the other one will be hungry and, <laughs> and so on and so on. So what happened was um, we suddenly realized that, you know, from books and from, from the history of uh, how they used the camels, we, we found out that they used to hook them up on, uh, you know, have them pulling wagons. So we thought, well, a wagon would be perfect because for a wagon, we only need two camels. We have like a camper. You know, we can sleep on it. We don't need to pack the camels every day and unload them and put up a tent every night. And and especially when you travel for three months, it's a lot of work doing all that every day. So we were very sufficient. Like we find the camp spot, unhook the camels, free them so they could feed, and our wagon was you know pulled down the sides and a water on it and food and yeah. Mm,
1: How amazing I mean was there any moment in Australia when you felt you know this is not did you have a a scary moment any scary moments there?
0: We did have um, once we started to trip we actually uh, ended up in the most difficult terrain at the beginning through the Flinders Ranges and the camels weren't They were quite good, but they're still in the process of learning, becoming better, so same with us. And um, so sometimes we get up steeper, you know, there's quite some hills, like they have them in Australia too, (laughs) almost mountains in the Flinders Ranges. And sometimes the camels would sit down, they wouldn't put, like we would unpack the wagon, make make it lighter, get up the hill, load it all again and... um, it turned out it's not because the camels were too weak, but they just they had their own mind. Or, or one was quitting, sitting down suddenly. The other one was trying to pull still, and and just not not in a good um, rhythm together. But then after a while, that was already after two or three weeks, we had a very uh, basically tragic moment that we had to uh, shoot one of our camels. Uh, it broke a leg, and uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, that was pretty pretty hard for for us, and also yeah, something quite special for the for the kids for too. The
1: girls, I can imagine. The girls,
0: but what happened was first we took off with four camels because we had those four camels which were we all thought they were quite good, and we thought well we could swap them, you know, two could pull. Two could walk behind. They were tied on a on a string, but a, a thin rope that they could break free if they needed. So, what happened was um, we went over a sort of a, a hill down the other side. It was not steep, but the the camels that pulled the wagon they sort of started trotting, and and suddenly the ones behind one pulled back, ran off to the side. The other one, you know, uh, broke loose too, but then. She, it was she was sitting down on the road and i thought oh something must have happened mm-hmm. it wasn't a scary situation but the camel it was just sitting on the road not getting up and i thought that's strange mm-hmm. so we walked up to it and then we we could see it it broke a, broke a leg and there was just nothing we could do anymore mm-hmm. we were there for maybe an hour and trying and but then just realizing
1: yeah well, I guess that's there's always two sides to everything, isn't there? And that's probably a moment, but it's an interesting moment also to understand nature and and uh, you know how things sometimes happen.
0: yeah uh, also for the also for the girls, I mean, it's not it's not a nice moment, of course. it's difficult, but also, I think they, they already saw when we were in Canada, you know, like when we caught rabbits, mm-hmm. we ate rabbits, we ate birds, we ate mm-hmm. fish, and they, and they were always very, very interested of seeing, you know, seeing yeah. how we gut them, how we skin them, how we yeah. – it just felt like death or for kids, it's it's actually not something you should not get them in contact with. I think mm-hmm. they, they get a really natural sort of feeling for for it and it seems like it's very natural for them yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And, and they appreciate you know they know when they eat something if they want to eat meat same for us you know you you really realize that this was an animal that someone yeah. needed to kill it yeah, yeah, yeah there's blood and all that what we often don't want to see anymore you know yeah, yeah. but it helps understanding
1: totally right so now, because time is passing and uh, this is so fascinating. Are you obviously went back to Switzerland after that, but and then COVID happened. But COVID didn't stop you from going somewhere. You went to Kyrgyzstan, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. The COVID stopped us in a way too. But, yeah, we just um, actually it all started before COVID that we thought, well, we, we had this dream of uh, going to Mongolia the teacher already asked us because he knew like they, they, this whole school knows that we probably sooner or later wanted to go again. So, uh, so he said, well, what's the plan? And we said, well, we're planning on going to Mongolia and then COVID came and um, everything stopped for us as well. Back then we thought, first we thought, well, you know, after a few months, whatever, like Mongolia is still a year ahead of us. So by then, the borders will be open, will be off. So, but nothing changed, of course. And then suddenly, like, yeah, by doing research, finding out what places or countries are open, uh, we found that uh, Kyrgyzstan is is um, has open borders, so no problem to uh, go there. And I totally understand that point of view as well. That you know, when you're in a pandemic or you don't need to go traveling really you know you could say well we we'll do it later but sometimes it's also no good a lot of people say I we'll think do we it need later to go. and you never do it so <laughs> <laughs> no but maybe if, if Amira wouldn't have been in, in sixth grade you know just before high school or high school or for high school mm-hmm. we probably would have uh, postponed or waited but it was sort of we suddenly felt well this is could be the last chance to go somewhere as a family because, you know, time, I mean, time flies, she gets older, which is, you know, she will do her own things. And so we thought, Last chance, we, we gotta go. So, so it
1: is and you had a good time in Kyrgyzstan.
0: And we had a very good time in Kyrgyzstan also. Uh, traveling with horses. Funny enough, after a few years, um Naira was not allergic to them. Did, uh, yeah, I
1: think you can outgrow allergies.
0: Yeah, we never pushed anything and just the yeah. homeopathics and yeah,
1: yeah. You know, listening to you and listening to your stories, I, I I believe that Naira and Amira are very, very lucky girls and they have seen more or experienced more in their short lives than most people in their, in two, three lives. And uh, that's absolutely amazing. There's a book which talks about what people regret on their deathbed and mm-hmm. people don't regret things that they did. People regret things that they didn't do.
0: Yeah, that's
1: why it's important to do. And I think it's very important to live our dreams. So Marcus, we're coming to the end of this uh, of this interview, but I want to know what is left? What's the next dream?
0: (laughs) What's the dream? (laughs) I honestly, I don't know. It's like you said, like you shouldn't. Maybe you shouldn't always look back in your life, but I'm, I'm t- totally, like, we're very happy parents, very happy that we did what we did because realising now the kids are, you know, they're becoming older and we can't, you know, like often people might say, well, we we'll do it later in life, but we could, that option we don't get anymore. Our kids will be older one day, so we can't do it. And we'll do other things. You know, suddenly, like I said, they will be on their own somewhere. I still um have my own dreams also. The rest of the family doesn't really want to go into uh the very, very cold sort of Arctic type. Um, <laughs> you may have to Arctic. go on your own then. And yeah, and I think that's something I I will love doing one day to uh yeah. Really? So that, that will I've be
1: another we'll do another interview after that. That will be another story to tell.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds so good. tell me. But there might you? be more definitely, and I hope so, we'll we'll do more family trips too. Yeah. yeah.
1: So um you do presentations, don't you? People can book you to talk about what you did, or how can people find you?
0: Yeah, that's right. Easiest is uh on on our website. It's called uh Bloom and Weg. I will. I will. I have in, but I'll put it in the show notes. All, okay. all will yeah. be. Yeah. And I love, like, I do. Yeah. It's different. Some, some speeches are just basically about the story. And, and some, you know, there's businesses that want to have certain, uh, yeah, about certain themes. And yeah, it became, I have to say, it became a job. So that's a wonderful job. That's right. Living the adventure and, Talking about it. But you see, it didn't, nobody
1: gave it to you. You had to do the experience. This, nothing comes for free. You know, you had to do all this, all this stuff, but now you can talk about it and making it a job is a dream come true.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: I think we're leaving it at that. Thank you so very much for spending time with me. And uh, I wish I could be where you are in Davos and go and skiing, but I'm sitting here on my island in the sun, but that's okay. Thank nice. you, Marcus, for being my guest.
0: Well, it's been a big pleasure. Thank you, Elizabeth.
1: If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and want to know more, check out my Soul Guru Lifestyle program on my website, www.thesoulguru.com. Sorry, forget this.